All right, so everybody. Sweet. Welcome to the June 8th edition of Cascadian Views. I just got Dan off guard there. That was great. Uh, <laughs> he is totally unprepared. Just right into it. We're doing this. It's... Fuck it. Do it live. <laughs> oh, man. It is just the two of us this week. Chris had some things going on, and JJ's on a uh, bit of a birthday break. He is ridiculously old now. That's how many years he's turned. That's right. <laughs> um, we... Uh, He's so old, he's voting for Biden. <laughs> he's never going to forgive you for that. <laughs> we uh, we had a, a week off last week. My girlfriend was out of town, and I had to be, you know, a person who takes care of the house. Never really realize how much of a lazy-ass slob you are until the person who cleans everything up is gone. Uh, I usually take the cleaning duties, so I... Usually I return home to the mess, so, yeah. There. Um, <laughs> it had been a few weeks since I had done laundry, though. She usually takes care of it, so yeah. I definitely had to knuckle down and uh, show my appreciation, make sure the house was clean by the time Amber came back. Yeah. Oh, good. We, uh, we did miss some things, though, last week. I think chief among them is uh, Robert Mueller held... I guess what you could charitably call a press conference. Um, he took no questions. It was really more of a press statement, I think, than anything else. Just one that he happened to deliver himself. Yeah. And this is after a pretty, I thought it was some pretty productive discussions, is what it appeared to be, of uh, bringing him to testify before uh, judiciary, right? House Judiciary, I want to say, Nadler's committee. And I guess that's completely broken down now. Yeah, there was some strangeness. He First off, he didn't want to testify in public, which, yeah. I mean, I kind of get. He doesn't want to be a player in all this. I, I, I think he's been incredibly clear from the beginning. He's a finder of fact. He's not part of any political process. And he, I think he very much views the remedy to this as a political process. Right. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, so, to be fair, he absolutely did not say he would not come. Just that he has literally nothing to add besides read my report. That yeah. there would be nothing in his testimony that wasn't directly quoting the report he made. So that would be rather pointless to bring him in. Yeah, it was. he says that he's laid it all out there. It contains everything. You know, some of the... Some of his remarks were, I guess, interpreted as a rebuke to Barr's uh, memo attempting to kind of twist it a little bit and make it seem like a full exoneration of Trump. Um, I guess also the media, which uh, willingly ran with that and spent several weeks uh, talking about you know, how, I guess, it's all come to nothing. And then Mueller comes out with this statement that says, well, if I would have... If I had found something that said Trump didn't do anything, I would have said so. And he also specifically said that the reason he did not pursue any indictment of the president is DOJ policy. I shouldn't oversell the sincerity of that. He didn't clearly say that. He said things that were clearly taken as a reference to DOJ policy um, right. in his decision not to indict the president. Whereas Barr made it uh, very definitely sound like... Uh, he didn't see anything there that he could charge. Right. Well, and then Barr, you know, just not to let any screw job go untaken. I think 
it was maybe what was even a full day before Barr went out and gave an interview and said, oh, no, I uh, never even discussed the possibility that he would be constrained from issuing a uh, an indictment. They go, we never even came up. So if he wanted to, I guess he could have. So, man, he's just the most disgusting, probably the new most disgusting person in the cabinet now that uh, uh, Nielsen's out and yeah, just I, terrible. I, I think he's so bad because we know this isn't this isn't him. I guess like he was fairly uncontroversial as an attorney general under the first Bush. Like he's mm. not winning any everybody's favorite Republican awards, but he was not somebody we held up as you know a picture of a criminal administration, of which there were many in that White House that he served yeah. in back then. He he was, I guess, pretty instrumental in pardoning a bunch of Iran-Contra people. But, yeah, that's all the after-the-fact cleanup rather than, you know, help the administration commit the crimes. Unless you're going to talk about, you know, the making sure witnesses aren't in legal jeopardy is, you know, I guess that might be an assistance to the cover-up at the end of the day. But not, like, the direct contemporaneous, yeah, involvement. I mean, also, that was a White House that was no longer with us at the, at that time. I mean, those right. were all Reagan White House crimes. We were on our next president by then. I don't. When you look at how recent the example of Nixon being, uh, yeah, you know, when the crime is known to the American public and it's not hidden anymore, there is some precedent for the next administration kind of pardoning everybody just so that we can come together as a country. We all know what happened. Nobody needs to exact revenge. That sort of thing. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that precedent was. Like only fifteen years old at the time. That yeah, that happened. So. and yeah, it's continued to be followed. You know, kind of Eric Holder kept it up with Obama. You know, a lot of a lot of people who probably could have or should have been prosecuted. You know, I don't know if the at the beginning of the Obama administration kind of got yeah. away in the same manner. People from the the Bush White House. Right. You know, we just keep. It's a delay in accountability, and it's starting to feel like it all may very well be worse than you know the trauma of actually putting some people who've committed crimes in prison. Yeah, I, it's pretty. Yeah, I really don't know where the next the next administration that just does not decide to uphold the law, if they're any more competent than Trump, how we survive it. But. I mean, part of me kind of gets it, at least for Nixon, just because everything was so laid bare. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel that same way about Iran-Contra. That wasn't right. like the end result of a national truth and reconciliation process where we all just got through the fact that the president of the United States is a acknowledged criminal. That, that, that was really just partisanship. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, back to Mueller. Uh, yeah, we went pretty far afield there. Right, but just kind of getting back to what he's really saying here. Yeah, he's saying it's up to Congress. And he, they have all the information that he's provided. And if they call him to testify, this is all they're going to get. And yeah, the, whatever exists, you know, it has a political process to be dealt with, which I don't know. You know maybe, you know, maybe he's just... Not wanting to avoid being harassed by MAGA people in retirement for the rest of his life and thinks that's even a possibility. 
or you know, I think you know the more charitable view might be that he's just that non-political that maybe he doesn't really grasp that our politics are too broken to deal with it in the way that he's describing. I so I would tend to just as like a natural reaction gravitate towards that viewpoint, except one of the one of the all time like cornerstone pieces of Comey's mythology and by extension, Mueller's mythology, is them, like, literally together, almost provoking a constitutional crisis. Right. Uh, Mueller was director of the FBI, Comey was an assistant uh, attorney general, and he got the FBI to hold off the Secret Service, keep them out of uh, the actual attorney general's hospital room where he was recovering, just so that he wouldn't justify torture under a signature that he had no idea what was going on i mean i i do believe that mueller may have just gotten older and changed but i mean we have concretely seen that he is not willing to shy away from being involved in a political process through that action right there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting yeah <sighs> yeah because i i He's got to realize that maybe he's he just talk talking about, old now. Yeah, that could be. You know, it just doesn't have it in it for this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the story we're talking about was like 15 years ago. I mean, right, he, right. he has aged. Yeah, it was 2000. It had to be at least 2003, 2004. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah. It's been nearly two decades. And yeah, I guess what, how big of an appetite can you possibly have for that kind of. You know, dramatic showdown with the president of the United States when you've had that long career, and where can it really go? I have a hard time believing that he can't, that he doesn't realize that politics cannot and will not deal with the situation. It just will not. You know, the you know, I think Pelosi is very well aware that you know she can bring as many articles of impeachment as she wants, and the inevitable result is Trump will be acquitted in the Senate, and it will be a massive victory for him. He'll basically run a parade about how he has been found innocent by the Senate, and it was all just a huge waste of time by, you know, and in this case, it will be, you know, 47 angry Democrats, maybe minus one, because Manchin will fuck us over and vote to acquit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. I guess that kind of brings us into our next topic, which is uh, the fight that Pelosi has decided she will take instead of impeachment, at least until she has to take the impeachment. Mm-hmm. Um, the House is moving a contempt package. In fact, I believe they've already voted on who's in it. Um, yeah. The, yeah. It is Barr and Ross and Ross. Uh, and there was one more that was coming up. I don't know if they've finalized uh, that part of it yet, but uh, the house doesn't need the Senate for right. a, uh, a contempt vote. They can do it themselves. They can go to court to try to enforce that contempt vote. Uh, or they could, my preferred option, just say to hell with the court and enforce it themselves. I've talked Throw about them in this. jail. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've talked about this many times on the show. They have a constitutional prerogative to enforce the contempt themselves with a law enforcement staff and a jail. 
they can totally arrest people. Yeah. And they may have to when it comes <laughs> down to it because no other branch of our government is willing to function and do what it's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. The the plan now, though, at, at least from House Democrats' perspective, is once they have the contempt verdict uh, from the House, they're going to try and use that uh, to get the federal court to do something, to enforce it, to use the might of the federal judiciary to get uh, whoever, the FBI, the U.S. Marshals, to enforce this. I don't think they're going to have a smart time with that, um, considering who those branches work for. Not the judiciary, but I also don't think the judiciary wants to be involved in a separation of powers fight. I mean, that's, yeah. that's something that, from the dawn of this country, they have just, nope, that's between you guys. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm kind of looking through some of the potential consequences of this. You know, there can be fines. Oh, it was McGann. There can be imprisonment. The, the third party. Okay. Yeah. Not Mnuchin? I thought there was some consideration of holding Mnuchin in contempt for there may refusing be a lot to of turn over the tax returns. But, uh, so, this may be the only hammer they have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so as of now, it, in fact, they actually have not uh, finished the ones on Ross. Ross is coming in a later vote. The two that are confirmed at this point is Bill Barr and Don McGahn. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I guess that's really what it comes down to in the Potential. I mean, they would eventually have to, yeah, either hold them in the house jail or take it to the courts to seek enforcement that way. I mean, I guess the last, the last big high-profile administration official I can think of who was held in contempt would have been Holder, and that was over absolute nonsense. And I guess the courts did not do anything to Holder enforce held it. Held in contempt twice. I, I know at least the once it was over that, you know, fast and the furious nonsense. But, uh, yeah, that, that's the only one I can think of. Yeah. Uh, there was... So, yeah, it's, it's not something that happens a lot, and it may start to happen a lot. Yeah, the, huh. the last time the House has used its inherent contempt powers, which is uh, where they themselves arrest people was in uh, the late 1920s. Wow. I mentioned this before. Uh, right. The brother of an attorney general uh, refused a congressional subpoena to give evidence about the Teapot Dome scandal. The House dispatched the deputy sergeant of arms to Ohio to arrest him. A case went uh, all the way to the Supreme Court where the Supreme Court ruled for the most recent time, although they've done this literally dozens of times uh, that the House has the power to arrest people. In fact, the Senate does too. Both, <laughs> both Houses of Congress have the power to arrest people, and the... In fact, the, the judge has read that the uh, the powers of the, the Senate and the House to enforce their rules in any way whatsoever, to make their rules meaningful, means that they must have this power. There is no way around it. If they have an inability to enforce their rules, the rules mean nothing. Yeah. 2019. Uh, that that contempt vote is going to tee up a lot of contempt votes. The White House is, is just stonewalled on documents left, right, and center. Uh, in fact, they're stonewalling to the courts. The, uh, the, the yeah. gerrymander case out of North Carolina may have to go back for a round two because uh, the prosecutors withheld, or not the prosecutors, the not the plaintiffs, the defendants, 
the GOP in North Carolina uh, withheld evidence, just straight up did not turn it over in discovery um, and submitted sworn court documents stating the complete opposite of other evidence that later has now turned up hard drive showing that race was in fact a factor that they uh, considered and that when they uh, swore to the court that they had not yet created new maps, they in fact had new maps sitting on a hard drive complete with a discussion about racial breakdowns and how it was all going to work. Yeah. And now that you mention it, you know, that's also going on in another case, the uh, challenge to the uh, question to include the citizenship question in the census, uh, basically the same damn thing where the administration withheld information about uh, how they received assistance from a gerrymandering expert who was going to advise them about how uh, adding a citizenship question would be helpful to Republicans. You know, they could, uh, you know, lower the count in Democratic areas and, uh, you know, Consequently tilt. bolster the representation of rural areas. Exactly. And so we've got at least one process where that's being reviewed in the lower courts at the same time. The main question's been at the Supreme Court, and they were supposed to be ruling on that basically any time now. It's mid-June. Uh, so, yeah, they're doing this right and left. I think really if—and I hate to, hate to be completely cynical, but given you know, what you know, was regurgitated by the Roberts Court for most of last summer and— uh, with the uh, change-up of Kennedy for Kavanaugh, I think it's only going to get worse in terms of what we're going to get from the judiciary at any time. So it's got to be, I think, for anything, really. If we're going to see any kind of enforcement, it's going to have to come from the inherent powers of the House of Representatives because nothing else is functioning as it should. And I don't think that's going to really make it any better. No. <laughs> in fact, that's... It's constitutional crisis yeah, that, that's flooring the pedal towards the cliff when we're already going towards the cliff at like 30 miles an hour i mean yeah i think the only thing i can think of honestly is that there's an election in uh was it not Year quite and a half? yeah 16 months 16 months can we hold on <laughs> God, <sighs> i hope so yeah and will it you know will it be fair and will it allow us to maybe restore something resembling, you know, actual rule of law. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, there uh, was a, just some flatulence from the president about tariffs this, tariffs this week. Oh, Jesus. Um, and yeah. then that, so he announced it one day. The next day he announced that they were suspended, that Mexico had agreed to a trade deal where they were going to buy more U.S. farm products. Let, let me just stop and unpackage that. Mexico is not China. Mexico is not Russia. Mexico is not a planned economy. How the hell mm -hmm. are they going to tell their consumers to buy more American crap? Like, they, they don't do that. The Mexican government is not stocking the shit on the shelves. The Mexican They're... government is not making these purchases. <laughs> I, I don't... <laughs> yeah. They're literally not. <laughs> I... I, I don't know how Trump thinks it works, but he can't uh, sign a treaty with Mexico that says they're going to buy more U.S. products. Oh, he, he's not signing shit. That's what's <laughs> so brilliant about this is the people he's doing this for, they don't care. 
And so as long as he you know, yelled about yeah, how he was going to do tariffs, and then he comes back a day later and said, I won, <laughs> there's nothing there at all. Yeah, you know, I guess some you know burbling about some enforcement measures that they'd already planned to take anyway. But he's going to say it was because he threatened them with a tariff because that's what they'd rather think about how the world works. It's it's the stupidest stupidest thing. And yeah, well, yeah, he did that with Mexico, and then he's also threatening China with more tariffs as well. Which that's that's been great. You know we had, I guess, a big week and a half, two week slide on the uh, stock market over fears of that, which has been recovering on some profit taking over the last couple of days. But yeah, it's like he wants to fuck up the only thing that's going in his favor for 2020, which is the, the fact economy. that the economy is roaring in a way that's a little bit unsettling, given how long that we've been in expansion. <laughs> but uh yeah, there, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the tariffs, but I just part of me wonders if Trump has ever actually spent time in Mexico. He talks about it. And, and don't get me wrong. Mexico has its problems. It has a huge wealth disparity between an upper class and a lower class. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it is one of the 10 largest economies on Earth. It is a functioning for more or less, you know, what you would expect democracy, roughly the same size as the U.S., a couple hundred million people. It mm -hmm. is a modern, well-developed country, and it's not, you know, a despot who can tell everybody what to buy and shit. And it's not a, a terrible shithole that people are fleeing at huge rates. Most of the people who immigrate to the U.S. through Mexico are not... From Mexico, they're from farther south in Central America, where Mexico has the same problem at their southern border that we have at our southern border. Right. Uh, people from just completely war-torn Central American countries trying to come into Mexico, both because it's a better economy and safer, and also because it's a pathway through to the United States, which has yeah. the best economy uh, in the, the new world. The world, period. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean... Again, not that you know Trump or the people who uh, the people who see him as the savior are going to tell the difference between someone from Mexico and someone from El Salvador or Honduras. But yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, there's a world difference between you know the state of society in a country like Mexico and a country like yeah Honduras or Venezuela or places that are actively falling apart. You've got a relatively stable society there, uh, rocked a little bit by you know populist politics, but and, and drugs and you know gangs sure. and whatnot, just like our inner cities had in the 1980s and, and early 90s and whatnot. Like you want to exactly. compare the drug problem in Mexico? Remember the crack epidemic? It's oh, for really, sure. It's really not that much different. Yeah, but I guess you know the whole imagining is that it's all you know scenes from Sicario running nonstop. So yeah, they, they it's it's I swear it's all shit they get from Hollywood. They they're convinced that it's some kind of dramatic hellhole that no one can dare set foot in. I'm the richest yeah. man in the world for like five straight years was a Mexican national. It was Carlos Slim who owned right. their mobile, their national mobile uh, telephone network and everybody has cell phones so they all bought them from him. Right. Like, right. That's a, that's a modern oh, yeah. country. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you got some wealth disparity and 
yeah, it's got localized problems from you know the, the cartels. But yeah, yeah, the idea that it's some sort of uh, laboratory for misery is just completely false and based entirely on ignorance. I mean, he, he's been there. We know he's been there once because he had that stupid uh, one-day visit with uh, the previous president, uh, EPN, uh, during the campaign in 2016. But I'd be surprised if he set foot there any other time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about the tariff is there was some drama over whether he would do it under the existing uh, declaration of emergency that he was using to try and build a wall, or if he was going to have a new declaration of emergency. Uh, this is important because unlike uh, the wall one, he probably would not be able to get away with a veto on this one. Uh, the Republicans hate these tariffs. I mean, they yeah. hate them. It's the one thing I think that has given anybody in their party a backbone, which is baffling to me. But there you go. There's like 20 Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, who were like, no. Just no. Yeah. Well, I mean, that gets back down to it. Like, anyone who knows anything about a modern economy knows that it's just not going to help. I mean, if even if you have reservations about global trade that is, is currently constituted, it's pretty much the dumbest possible tool that you can think of to just blindly slap flat tariffs on goods without really any consideration for how they're supposed to work or what you're supposed to get out of them. I mean, doing this over immigration is just absurd. Absolutely bananas. And and it kind of misses the point. The The whole point of, of NAFTA, and we could argue about whether the average person gets screwed or not from NAFTA. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think they have to get screwed, although I do think in some cases they do, and that's mostly because of corporate behavior. But the whole point of having a free trade zone among the North American nations was to to more closely integrate them. And we have an amazing track record of that in North America. We have some of the longest undefended borders in the world. Uh, Canada and the United States operate so closely together that we have a joint air defense. We hollowed out a fucking mountain so that our two countries <laughs> could put their generals in the same room together and make sure the world doesn't go to hell in a handbasket. We have right. an incredibly peaceful continent. And uh, that's because of how closely integrated at least the major powers on this continent are. Canada, Mexico, and the United States. We have, yeah. a, I mean, just to get into the little tiny shit, the North American numbering plan. We have agreed on one country code and an interlocking system of area codes that are all interoperable. And you can, you know, doesn't matter which country you're in. They all work. It's the NAPN, or NANP. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, a highway system in North America that is integrated between all parties with, with equivalent standards at certain levels of road and certain laws to make sure that transitions between countries are easier. We are integrated in a way that's really not seen in the world outside of maybe the EU. Yeah. And just trying to blow that up, that's like a Pandora's box, man. If we have to start worrying about like what the people on our own, you know, little island of Earth are doing, that's a big deal. Yeah. Like the United uh, States has never really had a homeland war in its its modern history, at, at least since we've been, you know, America. Well, I don't think we. Yeah, I'm not sure we'd ever have one with Mexico. I mean, Mexico doesn't really 
we had the Mexican American War, but it was before you know really the modern American yeah. country had, had founded. I was going to say, I mean, in the modern context, I don't think we ever would, just because Mexico's basically built up its defense posture around the fact that it they know that they could never possibly compete with the United States, so they don't bother. They their defensive doctrine is just not built for that. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you know, just to bring it back full circle again, if you want to impose, you know, make Mexicans buy American crops, our trade regime has basically done that already. I think we, I think we probably sell them a lot more agricultural products than the other way around. You know, I think we've basically put Mexican corn farmers almost completely out of business with our output. But yeah, just to bring it back full circle there. <laughs> and it's not like they're not buying American products. We export things all over the place, but they're not really physical products anymore. We export culture. American right. media is all over the globe. We export knowledge, American technology. Almost every computer in Mexico is running an American operating system, be it Microsoft Windows or Apple OS Ten. Very few of them are going to be running Linux or anything like that. But even if yeah. they are, it's probably in the flavor of Chrome OS, which is also made by an American company. Like, right. And down to we... the level of raw materials and commodities, oil. We are an oil exporter. Yeah, and Mexico is one of the places we sell to. I'm sure. So yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's you know, protectionism is just dumb. I mean, I mean, that's kind of the main thing I've increasingly come around to since you know growing out of my twenties. And you know, the there's a lot that in the uh, there's a lot of tendencies on the left where we realize that. You know, a lot of countries in the world don't maintain the same standards that we do, and we need to get smarter about how to raise them up to the standards that we ask for in terms of dealing with the environment, in terms of labor rights and human rights and things like that. But cutting off from trade altogether or imposing massive tariffs is just the dumbest possible tool for doing so. <laughs> yeah. And here we go. We've got a president who's dumb enough to actually do it until everyone screams at him that maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> uh, our last uh, our last story that we have queued up this week, I don't know if you have anything local, but... Uh, I hadn't found anything. <laughs> yeah. It, well, our last story is kind of a uh, local. Inslee, uh, Washington Governor Jay Inslee, mm -hmm. uh, has uh, come out a little bit public in the fact that he was stiffed by the DNC in getting a climate change debate, and he's now trying to openly lobby the public for it. He's got some high-profile backers. I believe I saw, uh, was it Gillibrand signed on to that little right. fight? Uh, well, I think there's been a couple of people that have been uh, put out by the DNC's decisions with uh, debate thresholds and things like that over the last few days. Um, but yeah, I think she's one of the ones that signed on. I'm trying to see who else. Um, I want to say, I want to say Castro or maybe Warren. I think Warren's also okay. in line with this as well. Oh yeah, um, and Beto O'Rourke. Right. It. Um, also, the progressive movements, Daily Coast and Move On, have both signed on to it. Sure, but although that also, I mean, the DNC set up rules where they're supposedly going to be sanctioning and not allowing people who participate in outside debates, but Pelosi's not... daughter signed on to it too. Yeah. Well, she's, 
Right, right. She's on the DNC. Uh, well, yeah. the California DNC. Yeah. Delegation, so, excuse me. I'm trying to think. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, but yeah, supposedly they're not going to be allowed in if they do this, but I have a hard time imagining that they're going to block out Elizabeth Warren since by most measures she's either running, you know, anywhere between third second, or, third, yeah. or fourth. Yeah, somewhere in there depending on where you poll and how you poll. So I can't imagine that they're going to actually, you know, block her out if she participates in, you know, whatever, you know, comes out of it. So they're actually planning a rogue de- uh, debate. I just, from my understanding of the story, they were just still trying to lobby the, uh, the DNC to put one out there. I, th- I think they were actually in the planning stages of it because I, I don't know how they're going to set aside one debate for, climate change exclusively i don't know how much we want to get into whether it's a topic that there's going to generate that much difference uh between the candidates to sustain a full debate discussion but i I think if they're going to make it happen they're going to have to do it on their own because i don't think the dnc is going to go along with it Uh, they've got 50 dnc members circulating petition to yeah try and get them that's a pretty significant change the number or chunk like DNC. out of 450 yeah i mean yeah. it's 10 percent, but yeah huh i don't know like 15 percent, and yeah yeah I, I just they're just the ones who had signed on as of yesterday i think as this picks up steam you're gonna see some they're making more pressure yeah i yeah would not surprise me if the dnc has to cave on this and i want them to cave on this in fact i don't know why they're putting up a fight on it i think well you have really? you have tons of time in summer. These candidates want to be on TV. Nobody's sure. going to care if you slide in another debate at you know the start of July or something. Nobody's going to complain. Oh, uh, I I don't know about that. I think you start monkeying with the debate schedules, then maybe it's fighting the last war. But anything that changes at this point, what's been pre-set aside. I think there's a very real fear that uh, you're going to get, you know, how's a protest and people saying that the DNC is changing things to benefit Who is going to protest this? Every single candidate in this field, with the exception of, I don't know, who's the fuckface from Colorado? I I forget Uh, his name. Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper. Everybody in the field besides Hickenlooper is on board with climate change being the major issue. Everybody is on board with having a plan to deal with it. Everybody is going to be fine with this debate. Who the fuck is well, going to complain? I, I guess the question, what's, what's the debate then? I mean, really, they're all on board with it. That's, Whose plan is actually going to solve it? I guess. Is that going mean, to be solved in a 90-minute debate with you know 15 people on the stage? No, but it sure is hell going to tell me who's actually serious about it. Who's thinking about it? Yeah, yeah who's yeah. actually looking at this with an eye for the future. I don't need you to have all the answers. I just sure. need to know that... This isn't a, a canned response for you. That this is something you have actually thought through. You can tell me you don't know. You can tell yeah. me this is your best guess, and I have no guarantees. I'm okay with that. I, I don't want somebody who's just going to stake the, the white page on their paper for the third time and then pivot to their stump speech. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I've just been very disappointed with the state of climate discussions so far in general because it's always kind of come down to you know candidates taking an arbitrary year and saying this is when my plan does it uh when it gets us carbon neutral but 
there's very little to say how or you know what you know differentiates and how Beto's plan actually gets us there to 2040 versus the there's Green New Deal doing it by 2030 Stoke, or uh, Biden by 2050. Yeah. <laughs> There's a benefit of exposure between the candidates, though. I, I, sure. I mean this in the best way, but a lot of these candidates live in bubbles. They, they have to. A candidate right. can't deal with everything that's going on in the middle of the day. They need staff to determine what's important, what gets in front of them, because their, their time is valuable. Uh, being able to be on that stage and have that back and forth and discuss things between people. And, you know, maybe I think this is the biggest issue, but you think this is the biggest issue and maybe we can work something out there maybe i can be turned to your opinion and you know please let the best ideas bubble forward i don't need you to have a consistent plan i need you to have the best plan if you want to adjust it because you learned something that mm -hmm. is 100 percent fine by me let's get some people in the room and and have them talk and also inslee is probably going to be the climate change czar in, in oh, yeah. somebody's administration in a year and a half maybe they should talk to each other and maybe they should get a feel for this Inslee guy and, you know, reassure themselves that he knows what he's talking about. These are all extremely valuable things that, you know, are shortchanged by just skipping out on the topic. And I, well, I, mean, I there's I, nothing I, to say they're going to skip out. I mean, there's a dozen <laughs> debates and of course they're going to talk about it. It just seems like a more important issue to me than, you know, being a, a sideline topic. We get an entire debate on like foreign policy and whatnot when November rolls around. Seems to me they could spare some time for climate change, at least in the primary. I mean, sure. I don't expect the Council on Presidential Debates or whatever they're called to schedule a climate change debate, but the DN oh, fucking no. C? Yeah, I expect them to schedule a climate change debate. debate. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but I... I guess maybe we could see something like that. I just think at this point, there's just there's going to be so many people, and there's just so little disagreement, is what I just keep coming back to. You know, you've got to you really the only thing I think that's differentiating these candidates at all, um, besides you know the handful of the slightly more moderate ones, uh, the ones who are saying we want you know just to expand the public you know create a public option versus you know medicare for all that kind of thing uh but the only thing that's really standing at taking anyone as far as how they stand apart is how what their political tactics what their approach is going to be uh if they make it to the general election i mean i can think of some substantive ones and and some ones that are actual points of disagreement between certain wings of the party like uh -huh. enhanced geothermal I'll throw that out there as one. That is one of my okay. favorite power technologies. It's geothermal that we can use anywhere. You don't need to have existing vents. You don't need to have any of that. You create your own. You you do it through fracking. You frack yeah. down through the rock. You inject your own fluids and then have them boil off and do the whole cycle. And we have a huge problem in this party specifically with the, the idea of fracking and Cracking open these layers, and you know, usually it's to get oil out, but it's still the same problem. Yeah, are we well, okay with that for clean energy? Because I, I kind of am, uh, especially considering the amount of clean energy we can get out of it. Uh, but that's going to be something that you know is going to come down based on what sort of environmentalist you are, and that's an important debate in climate change. Same with nuclear. Yeah. I think nuclear is an extremely important part of the the clean energy discussion. I know. JJ has very passionate disagreements with me about that. 
Uh, and I, I think we should find out where the candidates stand on that. I, I think there's a lot sure. we could learn about individual positions on this and a debate we could have as a party. I, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I just, again, I'm trying to think of any candidate that's going to explicitly come out in 2019 and be pro-nuclear. I mean, maybe Biden, but I doubt it. Uh, I mean, the, they're paying attention to where at least the base of the party is right now. And fracking, anything that involves fracking, I'm not sure that anybody but possibly Hickenlooper or Bullock is going to you know, come out in favor of that. I mean, even if Andrew Cuomo were in the debate, you know, supposedly he was the big fracking guy, but eventually he came around and banned fracking in New York State. So it's, I mean, these are areas that there's just, you know, there is some disagreement within the party, but within the political class, it doesn't really come up. At least they don't, I'm not sure that they're going to be debating. I'm not sure they're going to be disagreeing on these topics much at all. That's fair. Yeah, I, uh, I still want to see him up there. Well, and, and Bullock's not going to get anyway because oh, yeah. he started in too late. You know, that's the other thing that came up is I guess he's he's the one I guess who's been told that you know the polls that he thought were going to get him in are not being counted. So he is officially not as of yet in the debate, and he's got to get sixty five k. Did you see uh, the thing from that five thirty eight article about that? I had not. What was going on with that? It was actually the article I posted about Gravel now being considered a major oh. candidate, but it pointed out Steve Bullock actually got 0% in all of those polls he cited among people who had heard of him. Oh, yeah. All of his support came from people who had not heard of him before. <laughs> he, he apparently just had a name that was really easy to pick out. If you knew who Steve Bullock was, they had exactly zero respondents they, they... who selected him. <laughs> They think he's Timothy Oliphant on Deadwood, or at least related to the character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, man. Yeah, he was hot. Man, he, <laughs> he broke a hotel room with his fucking, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Is there anything you're uh, looking forward to this week that you want to share? Uh, shoot. Uh, looking forward to? Not really. Uh, I would just share that, you know, speaking of Deadwood, I just caught the movie, and... I enjoyed it quite a bit, quite a good deal. You know, it it's packing a lot into just two hours, uh, but these characters that we've missed for so long and a story that we never really got some resolution to still doesn't really get. You know, I'm not sure how well resolved it could ever possibly be, but it's a chance to say goodbye to characters that it was cut off far too abruptly. And it's a chance to say goodbye to David Milch, because I guess I learned after, you know, while I was watching that uh, Milch himself is suffering from Alzheimer's. So this is absolutely going to be his last project. So oh, man. check it out. HBO Go. Uh, I, I guess I'll bring some irony into our life tonight. Uh, Boston, not, well, I mean, it's in the city of Boston, but I'm not getting mm -hmm. the evil on Boston itself is uh, organizing a straight pride parade oh, yeah. <laughs> in response to the gay pride parade. And they have just named their marshal. Who do you think could turn the irony level for the marshal of a straight pride parade up to 11? So I saw who it was. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Milo Yiannopoulos, it. oh, who Jesus. is an openly gay man. Uh, well, an openly gay piece of shit. Not because yeah. he's gay. Yeah, I was going to say he's... 
He's, he's a, a white supremacist, uh, pedophile yeah. defender, uh, in alt rider extraordinaire. He's been deplatformed by basically everybody out there. He's moved on to begging for money on the internet. But he is, if nothing else, extremely openly gay. Yeah. I don't understand if you're trying to have a straight pride parade, which is a bad idea from the start. Let's you get to celebrate being straight every day. Let's, yeah. let's just let's just move that up front. It's a bad idea. But if you're no. going to do it, it does not make sense to put Milo at the front of it. Exactly. Well, the <laughs> whole concept of straight pride makes me want to go out and suck a dick just to disassociate myself from the concept of being straight <laughs> the whole idea between the gay pride events is that you you are literally persecuted for your identity you don't get to celebrate being gay you can't cock your head and whistle at some dude's ass and in public like you know every straight dude in the city does to a, a woman walking by much to her chagrin right you know, much to the the qual much against the quality of your life you get to do that all the fucking time they get beat and killed if they do that out in public. Having a day to just celebrate themselves is not an offense to you. You don't need a straight pride day every day. You get a you get to have fun being straight. Yeah, but uh, they can they can make it intersectional. It's about being proud to be straight. It's about being proud to be white. It's oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah yeah. How is Milo proud of being straight? Milo's not straight. <laughs> No, Not even a little bit. He He's just there to tell the straight people that they're better. <laughs> yeah. There is nothing straight about Milo. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not attacking him for that. He can be who he is. I'm attacking him because he's a shitty human being. But it has yeah. nothing to do with his sexuality. Yeah. Milo is not proud to be straight, guys. I don't know if you <laughs> know who you were inviting. <laughs> Goddamn. 2019. All right. Well, it's been good this week, Dan. Hopefully we'll have the guys back next week. Yeah, full roster. Let's hope. All right. Have a good one. You too. Mm -hmm. Bye.